Welcome back to Chasing Dramas. This is the podcast that discusses Chinese history and culture through historical Chinese dramas. We are your hosts, Karen and Kathy. Today, we are going to be doing part two of our review of the 2020 Disney version of Mulan. We did a spoiler-free recap of Mulan, the ballad's history, and some more historical context in our previous episode, so check that out if you haven't already. For those of you that have watched the film or don't care about the film getting spoiled, we're happy for you to listen along. Our recap, which we're going to start off with, is going to be a discussion of the film. We're going to kind of go through the film and we'll point out pieces of information that we thought were interesting, um, we'll bring our own insights to it, and then at the end of the episode, we'll go into more thoughts of um, the pros and cons of the movie, overall impressions. Again, there are lots and lots of spoilers in this podcast episode, so turn back if you don't want this movie spoiled for you. We will also be doing this podcast in both English but with uh, Mandarin Chinese for the, um, for the proper nouns. Okie doke, with all of those disclaimers out of the way, what are our thoughts of this movie? As someone who adores Liu Yifei, the actress for Mulan, and grew up loving the animated version of Mulan, I really, really wanted to like this film. I really did. When the announcement came out that Liu Yifei was going to play Mulan, I was ecstatic. I had a blast watching this new live action film because some parts of it are so absurd uh, and ridiculous. Plus our friends, we watched it with some friends and made it a drinking game, which was really great. I recommend doing that when watching this movie because otherwise you might be scratching your head a lot uh, because of what's going on. However, in terms of Disney live action remakes, I am going to be honest, I prefer Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast, and even The Lion King over this live action version. There are no songs, there's not a animated dragon to keep you uh, entertained throughout the film. I felt that if this live action movie kept the songs, kept a digital CGI dragon voiced by Eddie Murphy or someone equally as funny, that probably would have made this film a better film. I think this movie took itself a little bit too seriously and doesn't quite hit the mark. I agree. So why don't we kind of dive a little bit deeper into the film itself? Um, let's do a recap and then we'll kind of discuss our, our thoughts, are yes. yes, our thoughts about uh, what a lot of things. Though, yeah, at the end, <laughs> we begin with Hua Zhou, Mulan's father, narrating the story. Well, he's going off about Mulan's unparalleled qi or qi. Qi is a fascinating word with origins dating back all the way back to the Shang Dynasty on oracle bones, no less. The word has had different transformations and meanings throughout time. Here, we will take it to mean vital life force, and they kind of explain it as such in the movie. This is also such a cliche of Chinese films that people don't really use it anymore in Chinese films. It's like, oh, look, this is a person's chi. But I guess they really want to hammer this point 
through in this film, so Chi's just going to show up a lot in this movie. You guys might have heard of Chi um, in Tai Chi, but this is not the same word. Let's separate it out. Tai Chi is the Cantonese way of saying Tai Chi, so it's a little bit different. Let's just say when we watched this movie and Mulan's father is talking about Chi, I was like, oh, what is going on here? This was definitely not discussed in um, the animated version, and this is becoming a like martial arts movie talking about Chi now. This is this is an interesting direction to go in. Mm-hmm. We next get a sweeping shot of Mulan's hometown. There are terrace rice fields and a walled village. This actually looks to be a Hakka walled village or a Pulo. The Hakka people are ethnically Han Chinese, and the forefathers of the Hakka people lived in uh, modern-day Hubei or Henan province, but began migrating south starting from the Qin Dynasty, so all the way back in 220 BC. During the invasion and rebellion of the five barbarians in the early 300s, more and more of the Hakka people fled south of the Yellow River and Changjiang. We established before in the previous episode that um, we believe the movie right now is set during the Northern and Southern Dynasties, so around the 400 to 500 AD. So um, from a geographical perspective, this could make sense to have all this rice patties around, but not really. So point number one to, uh, to pay attention to. Young Mulan is chasing a chicken in the walled village. Maybe this is a call-out to the original movie. The chickens were chasing the dog in the original. And look, Young Mulan wields the staff pretty well. I like this scene, though, because we see that she is practicing martial arts at a young age, or wushu, uh, because no matter what the movies say, being good at martial arts takes years of training. You can't just one day show up and become a kung fu master. For Mulan to be an exceptional fighter, she must have had some type of training beyond what she learns in the army. Mulan's mom is worried about Mulan's prospects for marriage because of her rather rambunctious behavior and asks for her husband to speak to their daughter. Hua Zhou finds Mulan outside trying to fix the statue of a phoenix. He says that the phoenix is an emissary of their ancestors. Huajo instructs Mulan to hide away her chi. She only needs to bring honor to the family, aka marry well. Like, what? Can you just, like, hide away your chi? And also, since when was chi a gendered term? If you can tell us, please do so. Young Mulan looks very disappointed, and we get the title shot of Mulan. Yay! <laughs> Let's start the movie, actually. Now we're on the Silk Road. A trader is walking with his caravan of camels in the desert, and then a creepy-looking woman shows up. She straight up just merges into his body. What? The person, the, the creepy-looking woman, is the fabulous Gong Li, who is supposed to be this hawk witch. After she merges into this guy's body, part of this caravan enters a walled city or garrison somewhere in northwest China. Sentries spot riders wearing all black charging to the city. 
It's the Rorans. Rorans? Yes, when we first heard this, I was a little bit surprised, but for more information on the Rorans, listen to our earlier episode about Moonline. I thought it was very um, refreshing to make us do research on this, and it's actually more historically accurate. This is quite a cool sequence. The Rorans climb up the walls and start murdering people. The creepy lady, or the amazing Gong Li, also starts attacking soldiers from inside the city. I know this is the movie, but man, if the Rorans can just fly up the walls with like 20 people, why don't they just do that for every city? It should be very easy to conquer the empire with their skills, it looks like. News reaches the imperial city in central China. My first gut reaction was this is probably Chang'an or modern day Xi'an, but since we don't know which kingdom or empire this is, we can't be sure. As we mentioned in our earlier episode, during this dynasty, especially when you have the Rorans as the, em- uh, as the enemy, there are multiple dynasties or empires that existed during this time, so we cannot be completely sure which empire uh, the Rorans are invading. We suspect it may be the Northern Way, but it never says um, in this movie. The Chancellor reports the news to the Emperor. Guess who the Emperor is? Jet Li. I stared forever at this guy because I was like, is that really Chet Lee? He just looks so different. How many layers of makeup and whatever clothes is he wearing? Anyways, the enemy is this guy named Bori Khan who leaves the Rorans. The lone surviving soldier from the attacks suddenly speaks. There's a witch that assists him. This is why he's unstoppable. Her chi is beyond imagination. Um, okay, what? Both the Chancellor and the Emperor dismiss this witch and her powers. I guess that's a nod to when men dismiss women uh, just because they're women, even though they can actually pose as real threats. Regardless, the Emperor issues a decree. Every family will supply one man for the Imperial Army. You'll see the scribes frantically writing away. Yes, it is true that scribes were on hand to record decrees by the emperor. The soldier exits the imperial palace and goes into the city. He then transforms into the witch. We'll call her the witch since she doesn't have a name, actually, like they never say her name. Even though, as we mentioned in the previous episode, it's supposed to be Xianyang. At this point, though, I'm wondering... Why didn't she just go and murder the emperor if she got all the way into the imperial city? If she's so powerful, why not just use her talent and scary, you know, magic to assassinate him? The witch transforms into a hawk and flies back to Borikon to deliver the news. Borikon then goes into some macho talk about destroying the emperor Whereas the witch just wants a place where she can be accepted. He's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. The dog will finally have a home once I kill the emperor. She does not look happy at being called a dog. After all of that, we finally see adult Mulan. Enter the beautiful Liu Yifei. She's riding her horse, whose name is now called Black Wind, or in Chinese, Heifeng. And two hares are running alongside her. This is a direct homage to the Mulan ballad. When Mulan returns home, she basically quotes 
the last two lines of the ballad. She says she saw a male and a female hare, but she didn't see any difference between the two when they were running together. So if uh, you want to catch up on the ballad, listen to our previous episode. Hermione is like, okay, I don't care about this story about the hares. We've got more important things to discuss, such as finding you a match. What does this mean? Well, it's time to meet the matchmaker. Mulan's mother dresses and styles her to be very fashionable. There is a hint of the bring honor to us all melody in this montage. We discussed the makeup already in our other episode. It is pretty accurate of the Northern and Southern dynasties time period, especially for someone who's trying to impress. So yes, it seems quite different, but it actually is quite true to history. I'll just say that good for Liu Yifei because I can't pull that look off. Things are going pretty well with the meeting with the matchmaker. There is no cricket this time to ruin things, but a giant spider does the trick. How does no one else see the giant spider crawling about on the table? Well, because Mulan tries to prevent a scene with the spider, she causes a scene. It ends with a disastrous meeting. There's nobody, nobody gets uh, caught on fire this time, but uh, Milan does break every piece of china. <laughs> Can I just also say about the matchmaker though? It's like, what is up with your hair? That is some crazy hairdo. Well, after the disastrous meeting, things progress basically the same way as the animated version. However, there is no... Um, Leah Salonga to uh, sing reflections for us this time. Imperial troops arrive to deliver the decree that each family has to supply one man for the army. Mulan decides to take her father's place in the army. There is no epic music this time, just a sad Arhu tune. We don't even see Mulan cutting her hair. Actually, it is correct that they did not show Mulan cutting her hair. According to the traditional teachings of Confucius, both men and women were not supposed to cut their hair. That is one of the central pillars from Xiaojing, or the classic of filial piety by Confucius. Your body and your hair come from your parents. You cannot harm yourself as it would mean disrespect to your parents. Throughout Chinese history, men and women kept their hair long without ever cutting it all the way up until the Qing Dynasty. So that's a little fun fact for the movie, and after watching it for the second time, I thought it was quite a good little catch that they didn't have Mulan cut her hair for this sequence. Well, Mulan's off on her journey to the Imperial Army. The scenery is actually quite breathtaking. Mulan seems quite lost, and it, it looks pretty dire for her, but she wakes up one morning to see a phoenix guide her path. It's the family guardian this time. There's no dragon named Mushu this time, just a kite-like CGI phoenix. I have a hunch as to why the producers or writers decided to do this. Traditionally, dragons symbolized the emperor or males. The phoenix, on the other hand, symbolized the empress or females. In Mandarin, phoenix is called fenghuang. Originally, Feng is the male phoenix and Huang is the female phoenix. But over the years, both became to symbolize women. So 
Whenever you hear feng huang or huang, you typically associate that to a woman. The writers might have wanted to have a symbol that was more feminine or represents femininity for Mulan. Sure, no problem. But no commoner would have dared to openly flaunt a phoenix as a family symbol. The phoenix has always been a symbol for the women of the imperial harem, particularly the empress. Your family probably would have been killed if you said that you had a phoenix as your family symbol, because then you're kind of just like disrespecting the empress. So, um, yes, the phoenix is all high and mighty, but I don't think that would have been very apt here in like real life. So after traveling many days, kind of similar to what we talked about in our, in the ballad, Mulan finally makes it to camp and it's a beautiful spot. She has no idea what she's doing and immediately gets into a tussle with another soldier. The fight gets broken up by Donnie Yen's character, General Tung. This time, instead of saying her name is Ping, as she did in the animated version, Mulan says her name is Hua Jun. At least her makeup, or at least like the dirt on her face and her lowered voice, makes it convincing enough that she could be a boy. The word Jun is also very interesting. Without seeing the actual word on screen, because I don't have Chinese subtitles, uh, I couldn't tell which character it means. Technically, Jun could mean the word for soldier or Jun, or it could mean handsome or Jun. Either way, a good choice for the name. Training camp, as expected, is hilarious. Here we meet her gang. The characters from the animated movie are back, Yang, Ling, and Chimpo. Cricket is now a fellow soldier instead of being an animated cricket, and the handsome Shang is now in the character of Hong Hui, played by Yeo Sun An. While training, Mulan doesn't get her own tent this time. She has to sleep in a large tent with the other soldiers, which is more realistic than the animated version where Mushu also feeds her porridge that is happy to see her. Of course, she volunteers for night guard duty each night because she can't shower with the guys and it offers her a chance to get away from them. But I guess the guys like to spoon all night. Mulan's face at night is hilarious when she is constantly dodging these guys next to her who like to spoon. My question is, if Mulan is on night duty all the time, how does she have any time to sleep? Does she get a reprieve in the morning to sleep in? Why doesn't she have time to take a bath? Otherwise, I'm confused. The movie combines the training montage from I'll Make a Man Out of You and A Girl Worth Fighting For for the middle part of the movie. I loved it when the guys are like, What's your ideal woman? And Mulan says she has to be courageous, funny, and smart. Everyone starts laughing. Cricket says, well, what does she look like? Mulan's like, that's not the point. You tell him, girl. There's more to being an amazing person than just looks. All the male characters constantly tell Mulan that she stinks because obviously she hasn't showered with them or taken a bath. When she finally does, there is a shot of her swimming in the water and magnolia flowers are blooming in the branches. I mentioned this in the other episode, but in Mandarin, Mulan Hua 
are magnolia flowers or mulan are magnolia flowers. These flowers are literally her blooming. A cool little symbol. The magnolia tree is always next to her during Mulan's training montage. An instrumental version of reflections from the original Mulan is also heard during these scenes. After all that training, Mulan gets into a sparring match with the Shang equivalent, Hong Hui. In this match, she is super badass and kicks his butt. Everyone is shocked to see how good her skills are, but she secretly chides herself for allowing her chi to flow through. Her chi is noticed by the commander, who tells Mulan that she shouldn't hide her chi anymore. The film also focuses quite a bit on a few virtues, three virtues in particular, brave, loyal, and true. And there are quite a few funny scenes where the commander is praising Mulan for following these virtues and being true, and Mulan's like, mm, I'm not really true, I don't know how to tell you. I think that that was probably the, some of the most entertaining parts of the movie. While they're training, a phrase that pops up a few times is that four ounces can move a thousand pounds. This phrase refers to a Taoist teaching and Tai Chi skills where you can use less against more, soft against rigid. This was spoken in response to how they can fight against the very formidable Rorans. This phrase is a historical inaccuracy. In Mandarin, this phrase is When we were watching this movie, I'll be pretty honest, I was wondering how Chinese people would react. Or maybe they wouldn't react because Kathy and I are just nerds. Why? Because this phrase actually refers to a Tai Chi skill. And guess what? Tai Chi wasn't a thing until about a thousand years or so after the setting of this movie. Apparently, this phrase was written in a Tai Chi scripture by a guy named Wang Zongyue who lived during the Ming Dynasty, born 1526 and died in 1606. Honestly, it might just be Kathy and I noticing this because we are true geeks since we have read up about the, uh, the origins of Tai Chi. So yes, this phrase exists but should not have been referenced in this movie. We now have to turn our attentions back to the Rorans. They're planning their attack on other garrisons. Bori Khan is over there spending all of his time belittling the witch, saying stuff like, she's our slave. She is pissed. I mean, so would I. Come on. This is a witch. What makes you think that she won't just like straight up kill you? Well, the Rorans attack another garrison and we see just how badass the witch can be. She has hot claws, she uses her sleeves. She's basically a one-woman army. Why does she need Borikon again? <laughs> Commander Tong receives orders to move his troops to the front lines, and his 5th Battalion prepares for battle. We get some scenes of the battalion preparing for battle, so let's cut straight to the actual battle. It is actually quite intense. We see some remarkable horsemanship from the Rorans. The scenes where the Rorans are almost falling off their horses, but then catapulting on the horse in another direction is a true skill to these riders. I haven't seen that in many films, so uh, good for them for showing this. The left flank of the Imperial Army is first sent to fight these men, but it's literally like 10 people. <laughs> 
The Rorans quickly destroy everyone in the left flank, except for Mulan. I guess her chi saves her. She gives chase and comes face to face with the witch. Mulan is, of course, no match for her. The witch sees right through her armor <laughs> and throws a shuriken at Mulan. It would have killed her if not for her chest wrap. When she wakes, Mulan again sees a phoenix. And this is when she decides that it's finally time to be true to herself and who she is and fight as a woman. Sure, I guess that's the epiphany of the, the movie. <laughs> this part, I don't understand. It's like, which, what, why do you care about this woman? Um, how can you feel her chi? Like, what is happening? Well, Mulan rushes back into battle to the sweeping orchestral version of Reflection. So I'll give props to that. Without her armor and her hair billowing out, Mulan kicks some Roran butt. The dirt's gone and her hair is flowing perfectly. <laughs> like, what? This is some Disney magic over here. There's no blood even though she is like chopping men left, right, and center. Um, okay. Hey, it's a Disney movie. We'll take it. At this point, the battle is pretty dire for the Imperial Army. The movie setting here, though, makes me think of Lord of the Rings. Did anybody else get that vibe? I feel like I was watching Return of the King, especially with the trebuchets, plus the fact that I think some of this was filmed in New Zealand, so I was just getting different vibes right now. That could also just be a product of the drinking game we were having while watching this movie. That's true. Mulan, once again, is able to use her wits to cause an avalanche. I don't know how the Rorans didn't spot her, but she is successful. After the snow comes tumbling down, the Roran army seems to be defeated. The Imperial army is ecstatic, but are surprised to see Mulan as a woman. As in the original movie, she is expelled from the army. Alone on the steps, Mulan encounters the witch. The witch here tries to woo Mulan to be on her side. Which side is that again? What is her purpose? I don't know. There's also some strong lesbian vibes over here. <laughs> Mulan doesn't fall for it and rushes back to the garrison to try to rally the troops to stop Bori Khan because he wasn't actually in this battle. He already snuck his way over to the Imperial City. Now we see sweeping shots of the city. We haven't talked much about where they shot the film, but after watching so many TV shows, Chinese TV shows, we're pretty confident that they shot portions of this at Hongjian. This is a studio location that has multiple palaces built for the different time periods, specifically to film Chinese costume dramas. Disney did CGI for a few of the buildings, but you can totally see some of the buildings in other TV dramas. Let's just enjoy the last battle. Mulan does some kick-ass martial arts. She's climbing up the walls, doing these amazing flips, running on rooftops, the usual for Chinese dramas. I do remember people, like, non-fans of Chinese dramas tell us, oh, like, I remember Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. They were flying on trees and stuff. And I'm like, that is totally normal <laughs> in Chinese movies and Chinese TV shows. That is their kung fu. With the help of her friends, 
Mulan is able to rush to the throne room to um, save the emperor. Who does she see instead? The witch! This time, Mulan is the one who tries to persuade the witch to see the light, to turn to the light side instead of working for Borikan on the dark side. The witch says it's too late for her, but she leads Mulan to Borikan, who has kidnapped the emperor. Unfortunately, Borikan is in no mood to entertain the witch. When he notices that the witch has uh, led Mulan to him, he shoots an arrow towards Mulan to get rid of her as a threat once and for all, before turning back to the emperor, whom he has tied up on a tower. The witch, not being able to give up her new love interest, <laughs> quickly flies in front of Mulan and takes the arrow for her. She collapses in the arms of Mulan and dies. Honestly, the lesbian vibes are just too much. Plus, Gongli just dies. Like, what? Why? Why would you sacrifice yourself for someone that you've just met and tried to kill like 15 minutes ago? This relationship or the existence of this witch does not make any sense to me. Her motivations don't really make sense whatsoever. After she dies, Mulan rushes over to the emperor. He's currently tied up on top of a palace tower that's currently undergoing construction. Mulan puts up a noble fight, but she's still no match for Borikan and loses her sword. At this point, things look pretty dire for Mulan. But guess what? The emperor yells at her to rise up like a phoenix. What do you know? The phoenix literally flaps her wings behind Mulan in all of her CGI glory. Is this Game of Thrones over here or something? Well, because this is a Disney movie, the speech and the phoenix awaken Mulan's true powers and she wins the day. The final sequence is pretty awesome, but as expected, she is able to defeat Borikan. At the Imperial Palace, after Mulan saves the day, a woman comes to introduce Mulan to the rest of the court. Guess what? Who is it? It's Ming-Na Wen. She's the voice actress of the original Mulan in the animated version. That's such a fun cameo. Check out the work she's done in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. She is such a badass and looks fantastic for her age. I just screamed Agent May when she showed up because I really like her in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. The Emperor is very grateful for everything that Mulan has done and wants her to be a part of the Emperor's guard as a warrior. It is a great honor, but Mulan decides to go home. This is very similar to the poem. She refuses a post uh, in his court and says that she needs to return home to her family and make amends. Just as she's leaving the Imperial City, Honghui, the hunk, bids her farewell. He asks for her hand, like physically, literally not meaning like, will you marry me? She takes it tentatively, but leaves swiftly nonetheless. Next time, dude, next time. Mulan returns home to her family. It's a touching reconciliation. After she greets everyone, guess who shows up? Commander Tung. He arrives with a small retinue of people to not discipline Mulan, but instead reward her. 
The emperor gifts her with a sword because she lost her family sword in her battle with Bori Khan. The sheath is made of what looks like jade and the tassel is yellow, the color of the emperor. This is much more valuable than the original sword. And the sword is now engraved with four virtues. First, it's the original three that we've talked about in the movie, loyal, brave, and true. And the fourth one is the word shell. They translate it here as devotion to family. In general, I think the translation is filial piety. I think devotion to family is pretty good. The movie ends with Mulan gazing at her sword in the iconic reflection with the phoenix in the sky flying behind her. Will she take up a post as a member of the Imperial Guard per the Emperor's request? We don't know. We just know she is a total badass now. Well, that was the in-depth recap. Now let's actually review the movie. Let's do a uh, pros and cons for our review. Shall I start off with the pros? Well, the movie itself is gorgeous to look at. I read that they filmed the movie in New Zealand and China, and the scenery really does add to the movie. The character of the matchmaker was hilarious. Probably how I would have envisioned an actual matchmaker. <laughs> of course, she fainted at the end when Mulan was gifted the sword for what she had done for the kingdom. The horse riding skills from the Rorans were also a treat. I could really tell how skilled these riders were. Like, it was pretty obvious they knew what they were doing with their horses. I also enjoyed um, the homages to the original Mulan ballad and the cool Easter eggs that were sprinkled throughout the film. The chickens, the training montages, her friends, the music, all great reminders of the animated film. But that's about it for pros. We'll be honest, Karen and I are pretty disappointed with the film itself. So let's kind of go with the cons. For me, the movie was kind of all over the place. I think it would have been much better if they stuck to like the Aladdin live action formula where they literally copy and pasted the animated version into a live action movie. That would have been pretty unique. They should have kept the songs and they should have kept the comedic relief that is Mushu. Right, from my perspective, Disney tried to cater to all audiences, but it's not clear if either Western or Eastern audiences will appreciate the final result. We personally did not. And I think we straddled both, uh, I guess, audiences very, very well. It is clearly rated PG too, so there's no blood. So this was kind of like a jarring war movie experience. I don't know. That, that, the fact that there was no blood was also kind of just like, what am I watching right now? That's fair. From a story perspective, what the heck is up with Gong Li's character? I read previously that part of the reason why they didn't want to have Mushu is because they didn't want to have too many magical elements, and they suddenly bring up this woman who is a shift shaper and can turn into a hawk. We have no idea who she is, where she is from, how she got her powers, and what her ultimate goal is. She wanted to help Bori Khan to achieve what? To allow her to showcase her skills, but... Or be accepted? Yeah, but that doesn't make sense. In the movie, we also, this is something that really 
annoyed me. We never hear what her name is. She is only referenced as a witch. After turning on the subtitles, we see that her name is Xianyang, and then I had to check Baidu for the Chinese name. But guess what? Xianyang actually means fairy or goddess woman. It's a positive connotation, not a witch. If somebody in any other drama or movie was referred to as Xianyang, she should be one of the most beautiful and like righteous and you know wonderful women in that drama. She is not supposed to be this crazy hawk shapeshifter. That confuses me as to what type of character this Xianyang actually is supposed to be. I get a feeling that they just wanted to create a character for Gong Li so that she could be a badass. Also, we mentioned earlier, her chemistry with Mulan was through the roof. I don't fully understand where this chemistry came from, but Mulan had the feels when Gong Li sacrificed herself. An overall comment from the movie was that the homosexual vibes were very, very strong. At least we thought so. And this was also coming from one of our uh, gay friends. Hong Hui, the supposed love interest, showed most of his interest to Mulan when she was Hua Jun. Maybe he was pleasantly surprised that Hua Jun is actually a woman, but you cannot deny he was very interested in Hua Jun as a guy. <laughs> Liu Yifei is fine in this movie, but I wish she could have done so much more. She showed some spunk in the beginning, but that sort of disappeared in the end. I will give props to Liu Yifei's accent, her English accent has improved a lot since the last movie that I saw her in, or last English movie that I saw her in. The problem is that I feel like this movie took away all of Mulan's uh, intellect and replaced that with chi. In the animated movie, there were several examples of Mulan using her brains to overcome problems. This was true when she had to climb the pole to reach the arrow, when she had to use the cannon to cause an avalanche against the Huns, or when she lured Shan Yu to the roof and destroyed him with the fireworks. That level of intellect wasn't fully displayed in this live action movie. Like, when did we see her actually smart? Except for when she uh, tricked the Rorans into causing the avalanche. I think in this movie, they focused more on Mulan's desire to be loyal, brave, and true, and even her devotion to family than her intellect while also and her chi. To me, it felt like her natural chi, whatever that means, was the reason why she could be the warrior she is, not because she wanted to protect her family, nor because she was smart. I wonder how many young girls will now wonder if they have the same type of chi as Milan versus learning to use her brain to achieve her goals. The guys in the army were also fine, but they just seemed like normal soldiers without any personality. We got some of the same names, such as Cricket, Yao, Ling, and Po, but I honestly can't tell who's who. We also didn't really even hear the name Hong Hui until like way later in the movie. So if he's supposed to be like the main guy, come on, we didn't get that at all. This is a movie with a $200 million budget. Where did it all go? Costumes? Scenery? I honestly don't know. Some of the CGI was quite bad, like the arrows, the phoenix, it all looked pretty fake. I also want to rant right now about the martial arts here. You've got two of the most famous Chinese martial artists in your movie, Jet Li and Donnie Yen. Can you at least allow them to shine? I know for a fact that both Jet Li and Donnie Yen 
can do long fight sequences by themselves. But all we got were these random camera cuts from different angles when Donnie Yen was showcasing his martial arts. Even Liu Yifei has done amazing work in previous movies or dramas, and you can barely see a full sequence of her doing any martial arts. The wire work here is quite shoddy too. What do I mean by that? Is that there are several times where you can clearly tell that there is a wire on someone when they're doing the kung fu. I don't need it to be like, oh my god, it makes total sense that you're flying about, but I don't know, I, it felt like the gravity didn't really work. In other Chinese films, the, the wire work is quite good, the movements are quite fluid, so it doesn't really look like the person is on a wire. Once again, go and watch movies like It Man for a comparison. Well, that's it for our pros and cons. I do have a couple of other things that I want to discuss about this movie before we wrap up. For Donnie Yen's character, Commander Tung, splitting Shang into Commander Tung and Hong Kui doesn't impact the story at all, I feel like. But I believe this was done to give more roles out to different folks, aka give Donnie Yen a role in this movie. In the training montage with Mulan, you do see Donnie Yen doing some martial arts, which is always a pleasure. We also do hear that Commander Tung's full name is Dong Yong, which is actually the name of a guy in a very well-known Chinese legend. Obviously, many people can be called Dong Yong, but this guy is an integral part of Tian Xian Pei, the legend that depicts the famous love story of the cowherd and weaver girl. Dong Yong is generally the cowherd. We've talked about the story in our regular podcast, and there are plenty of dramas that go into this, so if you really want to learn more about this, it is a sad story. Uh, spoiler alert. But essentially, Dong Yong, the cowherd, falls in love with a weaver girl who is actually a goddess or a fairy. Through trials and tribulations, the end result is that they are only allowed to see each other one day a year on the 7th of July. That is essentially Chinese Valentine's Day. My question is, there are a million names they could have given Donnie Yen's character. A million names for someone with the last name of Dong or Tung. Why give him this name? Is he actually supposed to be a cowherd in some former life that fell in love with a fairy that we don't know about? Is there a whole backstory to Dong Yong or Commander Tung that needs to be described or written in some fan fiction? Well, I feel like Tian Xianpei, this legend already says that, uh, created that fanfiction for us. Something that I thought was a little jarring in the movie was hearing Liu Yifei, Jet Li, and Gong Li try to say proper names like Mulan or Hua Jun, etc. with an attempted American accent. I understand why they did it, but perhaps it's because I'm so used to listening to Liu Yifei speak Mandarin that I found it ridiculously funny. A Chinese person trying to speak Chinese with an American accent. There's no way around it, it's just really funny. In conclusion, we are very meh on this film. It's a good introduction to various aspects of Chinese culture. It's fine for a bloodless action movie and we probably would have enjoyed it more if this were a story from a different culture to us, it was clearly a movie about a Chinese story made by non-Chinese people. I'm happy I watched it, but 
I'm going to be honest, I will still, no matter what, prefer watching the animated version. We give this movie a solid 5 out of 10. What do you guys think? Do you agree with our assessment? Do you think this movie was really great? Or do you think it's pretty much on par with our views? Did you learn anything new? Let us know. Happy to discuss. Thanks again for listening to us. That is all for this episode. In our next episode, we will return and revert back to our normal uh, cadence where we will discuss episode 58 of Hou Gong Zhen Huan Chuan, Empresses in the Palace.